Welcome to Education Suspended, a podcast focused on exploring, engaging, and dialoguing with those in education who are passionate about changing the status quo and evolving the archaic system we have inherited. Hey everyone, Jessica Pfeiffer here. Welcome to Education Suspended. Today's episode is going to feel a little bit different than our first four because this is actually our first reflective dissociation session. So really what's going to be going on in this episode is that Steve, Jamie, and I just process um, our key takeaways from those first four episodes. And we're actually going to start doing this about every four um, just because there's so much and we want to make sure that we as hosts have time to really process it and kind of put it all together. Also, at the end, make sure you stick around. Um, The singers uh, from Poets Row, our favorite band who gave us the rights to the intro music, um, are letting us play the whole song, Young Bones for You, which is such a good, um, such a good song. And it was really generous of them to let our listeners listen to that. So again, make sure you listen to this episode all the way through. So you hear that awesome music at the end. We hope you're all doing well and enjoy our reflective dissociation session. Welcome to Education Suspended. This is our first episode of a reflective dissociation session. And there's two reasons I think we're doing this. The first reason being, again, my wonderful wife, Krista, um, a couple of weeks ago was talking with Jamie and I, she's like, I think you should have some, some shorter sessions broken out into kind of the podcast where the three of you just kind of reflect on what you're learning because there's so much content in each episode. And then on top of that, Um, and I'm probably going to go on a little bit of a tangent because this is something I'm pretty passionate about. I think when we think about, you know, the consolidation of information as learners, we, we really know that there's two main ways that that happens, right? So the first one being in REM sleep, um, and, and unfortunately, actually a lot of us are not getting the right type of sleep to kind of get us there and help us consolidate new information. And then the other one is in this dissociative or this reflective dissociative state. And a lot of us do that without even knowing it. Um, but I think what stands out for me in education and, you know, Steve, you can, you can chime in, but I I think for our adults, right, when I think about teachers, it's not abnormal, like for a school, if they've got like five to six professional development days in a year, that they just shove those days full of content for these teachers. And they never allow time for the teachers just to be, to reflect what has the semester been like, what's been working, what's not, what do I want to change, what am I learning right? Where do I want to grow? And at the same time, which this theme keeps coming up is if we don't do it for our teachers, it's virtually impossible to do it for our kids. And we definitely do not provide enough time for our students just to be um, in school. And so I think that's kind of why I'm excited about doing these little sessions with you too, is just for us to take a moment and, and kind of consolidate everything. I don't know, Steve, anything you want to add about that? Yeah, you know, you're, you're spot on and in understanding that many of us who taught in, you know, for years and years, you get a lot of content thrown at you in a year. Totally yeah. true. Um, rarely, not, I would say not never, but Rarely are you given time to reflect as a small group or a staff on some of that content. Um, so I think it's really valuable to have that time. In fact, I always we always clamored for it as teachers. Can't we just have a quiet day? Yeah, yeah, and and a, and a time to talk with each other. And thankfully, that started to happen with you know 
PLCs and the other, you know, small group stuff that we started to do some sharing and reflecting, but it took a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, you know, in, in Stevie's episode, I think he, he said kind of the line that all of us really love is a dysregulated adult can't r- regulate or teach a dysregulated student. So first and foremost, I think everyone agrees that students have to be regulated. But then when we kind of move up and we think about what are those key ingredients to to get to learning, right? We know that there's got to be that foundation of the relationship. And it's interesting as I see our numbers begin to grow within each episode, right? We're trying to build relationships with our listeners. And then that, that final piece is that is that reason, right? That access to the cortex and that re- reflection, that access to the frontal cortex. And you really just kind of float back and forth between those two. But um, I'm hoping that we continue to build that base of relationship with listeners. And uh, yeah, it's just exciting to see that piece happen. Yeah, don't don't you think it even happens during our podcast? Yeah, don't you catch yeah. yourself dissociating yeah. and just thinking Absolutely. about it, and you sort of lose track of your guests because you're thinking about all the amazing things <laughs> they're so saying, true. and it takes so you somewhere. True. And yep. you know, I, I was told, you know, with Michelle, she had me, she had me at the word narrative, Michelle, because I just think the power of story is is incredible when it comes yeah. in, in education just in life it is it's really our ancient way of conveying information yeah is the power of story so she she particularly um grabbed my attention right away just just in the power of narrative and mm-hmm. when i think of uh just going off in my tangent when i think of coming off of this pandemic i i remember the the really powerful piece that a principal in upper New York state wrote about, we have to value kids' stories. Now we got to let them tell their stories when they come back to school. We can't squeeze that out. It's way too important. They've learned so much in this year that we have to take advantage of. We have to mine that. And uh, I think she brought that out to me. That's it's, it's imperative that we let kids tell their stories. Yeah, and I've been so attuned since that episode with Michelle of just the story around me in my life, how I use it, how other people use it. I've, I've received several text messages from friends after after that episode aired. Um, and one uh, friend of mine who I played college soccer with, she's like, oh my gosh, I totally get it. When we took our son to the dentist for the first time, it went utterly awful. Right? It could not have gone any worse. And she goes, but what we did before the next time he went back is that we read stories about it, right? We got out our Berenstein bear books and, and about them going to the dentist and we practiced and read those stories. And she goes, it was a night and day experience. So there's just so many ways that we see that. Um, and I think the other piece is just the cultural context, right? I keep going back to that question I asked Michelle of, why don't we see it as much maybe in the in the white culture as we do in maybe other cultures? And she kind of took that pause and she's like, trauma, <laughs> right? Like, I'll never forget that. And it is so interesting to think about that, of the healing aspects of narrative. Yeah. Um, when When we were talking about that, well, I was reflecting the entire recording of that podcast, as I usually do. <laughs> And then once we stop, I'm like, okay, I'm ready. But um, with Jamie, Michelle, Jamie, we have noticed that. that is, <laughs> yeah. We have well, really well, noticed yeah. that. I'm the master at reflection. Yeah. Um, yeah, with Michelle, I was kind of thinking of like on the flip side, 
of the danger of not telling these stories. And with with certain exactly. cultures and uh, like indigenous groups, um, how that might've been taken away from them at some point in time, right? When we sure. take away their language, when we take away their land, really everything that we took away from them and we're taking away their ability to communicate and tell stories. And that's kind of what I was reflecting on a lot. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and it, it, you know, I don't want to jump into Madeline's too quickly, but there is this theme of, of story in regards to the physical space and the, and the story that the physical space tells. And it's, you know, for me, interviewing her and dialoguing with her at a time that I'm actually not in buildings right now, which is strange, right? Cause I'm always in buildings, but this year, obviously with COVID, it's been so different, but just thinking about like the, 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 the physical space tells a story, right? It sets up the narratives in, in some degree that we're going to get from these students. Um, and I was, I was doing a training for the department of ed here in Colorado and just, just honestly reflecting on that episode with some, with some staff members and this gentleman, he's an admin, he's a principal. He goes, Oh yeah, that doesn't shock me. The last building in our district was built by a, a company who also builds prisons. Right. I'm like, what's that, what's that narrative going to be like? What are we creating for these kids? Uh, it's, I don't know. But you know, I, I also want to think that, that that narrative does change if the school if the uh, the chemistry with the people in a school, mm-hmm. you can build memories within a school, even if the school isn't perfectly designed the way we'd like it to be. Um, the place of school has is really a powerful place. I, I know that from losing a school to a flood and and not ever being able to return to my school, which I'd been at for thirty two years. Yeah. That that is he, place is hugely important. Yeah, and. And that was not necessarily a perfect place, but it was a place full of memories and it's a place full of stories. So even though we can't always change our physical environment, we can still create stories within our physical environment. And that's still, that's very, that's very important to do. Yeah. Um, that kind of combines our first two podcasts in, yeah. in, in really a cool way, but um, that's the way I see place yeah i would love i i love the openness of of madeline's some of her which people could not see in the podcast her sketches and some of the beautiful Mm -hmm. pictures wouldn't that just invite more story and invite more interaction i mean that's what you really want but even in our imperfect systems we can create great stories yeah steve go ahead green or uh jamie go ahead just that was beautifully said i like yeah I guess for you two, I'm wondering, do you think there's going to be a point in, in education in the next 10 years in which we're able to change the physical space? Do you think that, that people are really going to be able to understand why this is important? That's, that's really a good question. Not an easy question to answer, <laughs> yeah. is it, Jamie? <laughs> I was just well, thinking, just... like, maybe we need to also put value and appreciation for our teachers right like that that would be the most pressing place to start and then building from there because I think what this year at least for me this is my own opinion has shown is how much we uh love our teachers but are so quick to to be upset with them right when because of the pandemic 
Yeah. There was so much surrounding that. And so, yeah, I just, that's kind of where my mind went was like, well, we really need to start showing people that we value our education system and really investing in it, investing in our teachers. And then from there, investing in the settings in which we put these people. Yeah, that's really a good point. The whole idea of you have to believe in order to invest. Yes. And uh, the other thing, you know, the thing that hit me when you asked that question too, was the value of the outdoors. Yeah. Um, and, And no matter what our indoor facilities are like, nothing can has to stop us from valuing and, and appreciating and using nature and, and the outdoors more as our classrooms, when possible, move out, you know, get outside and, and really just appreciate that connection to nature. And I know we have a podcast coming up about that, but it's, it's also, I always considered that. And I think I think Madeline considered that too in her physical environment stuff. Yeah. It's like, where do we connect to nature? How are we going to do that? Yeah. I think, I think we talked about the, the biophilia hypothesis with Madeline, which is true, right? Like you're right. We don't, we might not have the resources to change the actual physical space of that building, but we can get outside more right? We can put some more maybe structures outside that we can do some outdoor classrooms and things like that and thinking about it from that perspective. Yeah. And I think take, take advantage of people's artistic gifts indoors mm-hmm. in the way that we, you know, create our indoor space, even though not ideal. There are, there were people, at least at my school, who were beautiful at, cre- at decorating and creating and making it feel like home. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where it lands, doesn't it? You want school to feel a bit like a home. Yeah. Well, I feel like we keep setting each other up for like next transitions. Please, for those of you listening, we're not doing this on purpose. We have no script. We're literally just talking, but making a space feel like home. Actually, right away, I started thinking of Stevie, right? And and the role of representation looking like your community, looking like your home. And that was a big piece that really stood out for me with him. Um, I think the other piece that I, that I loved about Stevie's is that he kind of rooted us back in and gave us this gentle reminder of learning takes place through modeling. So he's modeling nonstop how he wants other educators to interact with these kids for the adults and for the students. And that was just a really good reminder. And I see that with, with um, Quinn, right? And unfortunately you might actually probably be able to hear her a little bit. It's bath time at my house. And so if you hear her screaming, I apologize. We want to hear her. Yeah. Um, but the other day, uh, Krista was vacuuming. And, and before I know it, and before Krista knows it, Quinn gets out her little toy vacuum and she starts vacuuming, right? And I was like, this is it. It's all about modeling. And we for, I think it can be so easy to forget that, that it's not just for the kids that we model, but our leaders, we need to model for our teachers as well, like creating that space. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of one of the skills of a good writer is that you show instead of tell. And good writers always know how to show. And not as skilled writers resort more to telling Mm. and it's weaker. It it just doesn't come alive. Stevie is a great example of a guy who shows instead of tells. And 
and it's powerful because he does j- what just exactly what you brought up. It's powerful. Mm-hmm. He's and, he's a coach. Yeah, in his own in his own right, he's a coach of what he wants these adults to to pick up on. Well, and the kids, and the kids. This this again going back to this role of representation. I I mean. I don't want to like be, be too personal. Right. But it, you know, all of this has really led me to reflect on my experience as a student. Right. And I think I grew up in, um, in Ames, Iowa, it's a great university town. So there's, there's definitely diversity, but it's still, I mean, it's still Iowa. No, no offense to Iowa. I love it. I love Iowa with my whole heart. Um, but there were really no teachers of color that I came across. Um, which I think says a lot. Yeah. I, and I don't know what it was like for you, Steve. Well, nice, nice connection to Dr. Kennedy too. If I remember talking to, to Dr. Kennedy, wasn't it, I, I'm going to say Tennessee state or one, one of her graduating institutions, she's got mm-hmm. a few and she finally got into that situation of people like her were represented. Yeah. And, and that school was full of, you know, of, of connection for her. And then, and, and she obviously blossomed um, by starting there at a, at a school like Tennessee state, which is, you know, had, had those representatives of who yeah. Dr. Kennedy Adrian is. So yeah. I, I thought that was hugely important in her, in her talk and boy, has she carried it forward. I yeah. Mean, she sees it. It's easy to, underestimate the power of seeing yourself in someone else it's just you can take that for granted and even even thinking back of I don't think that that again I think I was just naive I and privileged I should say naive and privileged I should add that I think I didn't understand the power of representation until I truly became a parent and, you know, when we had that, the last election, right, when we have our, our first female vice president, I remember, you know, just crying uh, for, for a variety of reasons, but, but mostly or largely because I, I'm a mother of a daughter. And it was yeah. this representation of like being able to actually look at my daughter and saying, yes, you see yourself in this person. Um, and it was really just kind of that first time that I that I remember that. Yeah, I think uh, opposite of you, I grew up with a lot of representation in Hawaii. And so, yes, the privilege of that, of being able to see myself reflected everywhere I go. Um, But then now in higher education here in Colorado, I mean, we haven't had one person of color teach any of our courses. Yeah. And that was my like eye-opening moment. And not only that, but like, we're not, we're, we're reading things that there's no representation in things that we're reading. Yeah. And so that, that has been like, yeah, I think what you're saying, Fife, you can really take that for granted. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're at a place that we really just need to start challenging that, right. That Mm -hmm. representation matters. The other piece for Dr. Kennedy's that I, that I love um, and have just been, you know, grappling with is this notion of compliance. Yes. Yes. It's been really weighing on me heavy because I think, 
you know, one thing that really she did an amazing job of articulating, right, is that compliance doesn't mean engagement, right? I think, uh, Jamie, I think we both kind of really resonated with that. Mm-hmm. And specifically for our students of color, right, our, in particular, our Black students, um, well, I'm sure it's, you know, Latino, Latinos, Indigenous, right, is the things that get put out in the media, the things that fire people up are these large displays of inequities and racism, right? It is someone filming on their camera, mm-hmm. a high school student getting thrown to the ground or a nine-year-old getting pepper sprayed, right? These, these outrageous things that almost you, you would begin to question the sanity of someone if this doesn't upset them, if it doesn't make them sick to their stomach. Yet, I think for, for Dr. Kennedy, this piece of compliance, this piece of her voice being taken away day after day, year after year, that she was just in this place of kind of sitting quietly, smiling and nodding, Mm -hmm. to me is almost more damaging because people see that day in and day out, don't even think twice and keep going on. They praise it. it. And that doesn't make it on the news. That inequity, that, that act of racism, like fuels this continuation of like, oh yes, that was a good, that was a well-behaved student of color. When it's like, no, the system is literally breaking the soul of that student. But it's it's in a quote unquote passive way. The system's doing what the system's designed, which is to take that voice away. I I don't know. It's just Yeah. And I think you're right. I think it's the passive dangers that scare me a lot more than the ones that are really out there. Yeah. Why, say more. Oh, I don't know if I have any more to say, but I, I, I'm just agreeing with you. I think yeah. it's it's always the unseen and the unsaid that scares me the most. And mm-hmm. because it is easy to bury it, it is easy to hide, hide behind it. Actually, just flip, plain easy to not notice. Yeah. When you come from a place of privilege, like I feel mm-hmm. like I do, there, it's just easy not to notice those things. Yeah. It, it, it makes me as a teacher wish I could go back 20 years and just try this again. Um, yeah. Know, knowing a little bit more of, but you know, that's not possible. We have yeah. just learned by experience, but I, I wish I could, I wish I could go back and write some of the wrongs of that, um, of those days when I just didn't notice. It's yeah. not that I did anything overtly wrong. I just didn't notice. So you, you kind of hit me in the heart there. Well, and I, and I was Thanks asking, yeah, well, I was asking about this passive piece because um, I think I was comparing it to like a relationship um, and it, you know, it kind of builds up of years of years of someone being passively aggressive to you or passively just kind of digging at you and, mm-hmm. and not treating you well. And before you know it, maybe you've been in this relationship for 15, 20 years. And I realize I'm probably sounding a little bit like a family therapist, Whereas if you, if you look at a relationship that's more overtly aggressive, right? Like they're yelling at you, they're maybe even physically harming you right away. You're going to have red flags that come up. You're not going to, it's not as easy maybe to, to kind of justify the behavior. But that's why I think when I heard you say passive, I had this light bulb like, oh, sure. We see this in systems all the time. Um, and, and I do think, right, that Dr. Kennedy highlighted of our system is designed for specific reasons, right? To, to passively keep in place um, mm-hmm. 
in particular our students of color, right? Where we want them to be. Right, and then as soon as there's any type of behavior, we're gonna be so quick to reprimand them. Yeah. We know that our students of color, black boys, black girls are reprimanded at higher rates. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that you're right, that piece has just been sitting with me. Yeah. Um, all right, any, any other thoughts you two? Wow, we rattled along pretty good. I know. <laughs> I also just want to say that I don't think any of us, any of us talking, Jessica, Steve, and I, will always get it right. Right? Like we may some we may say something and it it's just it's not correct. And so we want to be open with that and accept the feedback and just know that we are trying and we will not always get it right, but we will try to make it right. Woo, pressure's off. Finally, yes. Jamie. Finally, took the pressure off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you're 100% right. And yeah. I, I agree with you totally. We will not always get it right. Huh. But, you know, that's also an important thing to think about. We're trying. Um, we're trying to get it more right. We'll never get it all right. But in the whole pandemic and the whole, um, you know, the, the racism piece and the living in George Floyd community, uh, all of that, you, you just realize it has to start with me because I haven't always gotten it right. Yeah. But I can start with me. That doesn't threaten anyone else who's mm -hmm. wondering how they should feel about this or that or the next yeah. thing. It really starts with me. Someone, I don't know who said it, all politics is local. And all change is individual. It starts with us. And yeah. I think we're, that's part of the wonder of this podcast is really, I'm learning a lot <laughs> just listening to these great people. Yeah. Yeah. It's not always easy either. Not, it's easy listening. It's not always easy being able to follow up and do something about it. Yeah. Um, well, thanks. Thanks to the two of you. It's been a, a fun first four episodes. It's, it's crazy that we're, we've already released four episodes. It's gone so well. And I, and I appreciate, you know, just both of you being on this team and, and doing this, um, with me and to our listeners, right? Like this has been so well received and it really means a lot. Um, time is valuable. And so the fact that you, you know, honor us and give us an hour of your time, um, every other week, it really means a lot. And we are truly grateful for that. And we're, we're trying to give you good stuff here. So thank you so much for listening. Um, and we will see you next Monday when we release our next episode. The young man who hasn't lost his teeth yet calls the cops just to learn to use a telephone.
ain't a cause, just a laughing at the sunset's cold as hell, cause the devil takes a back road. Swing set can explain what it takes to make a house a home. And if you tell it to the nation, yeah, you know, you know that they already know.